0: Coming up, there's been a shift atop the National League East, a perch that the New York Mets held for three months, but when you wake up this morning, they now reside in third place. Didn't I just do a State of the Mets Union? Well, another one is on the way, plus all the latest that's happening in baseball. The NBA free agent frenzy was wild and wooly last week, with new faces and new places and some familiar ones staying put. Also, some controversy surrounding two sign-in trades as well, which I'll get into, the NFL preseason has arrived with some big signings for two key players in the league and lots of training camp 4 one to digest. An interesting development taking place in Buffalo with one of the NHL's young stars that looks to be a long 15-round heavyweight fight. I'll put a cap on the Olympic Games as they come to an unmerciful end yesterday, bringing more heat than the Arizona desert, the sunshine state of Florida, and the humidity of the Northeast all combined. Real true sports talk coming forth. But first, this message. Hey everybody. J Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms: on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor. But I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast but increase the visibility, fuel the growth, and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., As I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other, for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me I hope you come back for more as your trusted source On everything that's happening in the world of sports So with that said The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 Let's get this sports podcast party started Alright The J Reels Podcast Why don't you wait until July 1st To make an announcement What a disgrace he can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Will's Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, and excellent spirits. Thank you so much for stopping by to carve out some precious time on your end to get your sports jones because you know I will deliver the goods and then some. As this is the J Reels podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 208 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, August the 9th, in the year of our Lord 2021. The J-Reels What's the Deal segment? What's expected on this podcast is as follows. The Jack Eichel scenario in Buffalo is one to watch, as his representatives want him to get a required surgery for his injured neck, which had him out of the lineup pretty much most of last year, but also are looking to deal him out of upstate New York. The Sabre organization is saying all the right things at the moment, but how this all will unfold remains to be seen. I'll get into that later on in the podcast, as well as the wheeling and dealing of the first week of NBA free agency, including two sign-in trades that are under investigation with Lonzo Ball going to Chicago and Kyle Lowry going to the Miami Heat. I'll detail who's made the biggest jump from a roster standpoint and get into everything that's happening in the association later on. Also, the Olympics finally come to an end. We'll recap the last week, eh, just a little bit, and a look ahead where less than six months from today... You have a Winter Olympic that's coming in Beijing. So, I'll touch on that. Also, the NFL had a couple of major signings, including Josh Allen's mega deal with the Bills, which leads to the question, how much is his fellow draft classmates, Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield worth? Also, a recap of an historic Hall of Fame ceremony that we had over the weekend in Canton, turning the heat up in the sports world with so much to get into, including my hero and zero of the week. If there's any saving grace for someone who follows a baseball team that's in a pennant race, thank God that there are 162 games in a season. Because if this was the NFL, the sky would be falling if the Mets were in the AFC East playing a 16-game schedule. And I have to start off here, people. I know last week I gave you a little bit of an overview with the Mets and how they've been performing here, especially over the second half of the season. But now it is in true DEFCON 1 mode. If you're a fan of this beleaguered, of this injured, but at the same time, disappointing squad that should have run away and hid somewhere around the All-Star break. Because as now, the way the National League East is shaped up here, the Mets went into this weekend after losing three or four in Miami inexplicably. And it's interesting because the Marlins, although they've been the doormats of the National League East for so long. And minus last year, I get it, in 60 games, they made it to the postseason, won a round, and then got swept by the Braves. But for the most part, we know the Marlins are pretty much a team that's never going to get out of their own way. And although they may be trending upward in the years to come, but we certainly look at them as a team that's non-competitive, as a team that certainly can't be anywhere close to the Mets, Phillies, or even the Braves, and in the past, the Washington Nationals, as far as the division goes. But... Losing three out of four in Miami, you thought to yourself, geez, as bad as that was, they're going to Philadelphia, they're going to be re-energized back in the Northeast, away from the dregs of South Florida, And, and what I mean by that, for those who live down there, I love South Florida, but when it comes to baseball, so before anybody gets a little crazy and wonders, whoa, why are you knocking South Florida? We're not talking about the town, we're not talking about the counties, we're talking about the baseball team. So now the Mets come north to Philadelphia, a half a game- lead in the standings, first place, and even though the Phillies had come in winning four in a row, sweeping the Washington Nationals to start off the month of August, you thought to yourself, all right, if the Mets could just get two games here, just two, where they could leave Philadelphia a game and a half up, where they'll be hosting the Nationals this coming week and then have that brutal stretch of 13 straight games between the Dodgers and Giants, that two out of three didn't seem out of the question. And when we look at the weekend, not only did they not get two games, not only did they not get one game, forget about even winning a game, they couldn't even barely scratch a run over the weekend, granted that they did get two runs on Friday, and they got three miraculous runs on Saturday. Yesterday, non-existent, only two hits, which were from the bat of Brandon Nimmo in the first inning to lead off the game with a double, and then in the ninth inning with a single. This offense right now has gone into an early vacation and for whatever the reason, as much as you want to pin the blame on Steve Cohen slash Sandy Alderson slash Zach Scott or even Luis Rojas for that matter, you cannot because I could have pitched on the mound yesterday at Citizens Bank Park and the Mets probably would have maybe gotten four or five hits as opposed to the two hits that Brandon Nimmo was able to muster over the course of nine innings. And this even goes beyond that because when you look at the game on Friday, Jonathan Fiar had a home run there in the ninth inning, which is going to be a little bit of a theme here. But his home run in the ninth inning came a little bit too late because the inning prior when Edwin Diaz was trying to hold the Phillies to that 2-1 score to where maybe the Mets could somehow scratch out a run in the ninth and maybe put themselves in a position to win the game. That wasn't going to happen because Bryce Harper took him deep over the center field wall where... Edwin Diaz, and I'm not going to pound him as I have in the past because, please, it's like trying to squeeze out the last drop of a lemon, which was done three days ago. And for Diaz to now be the Hansel Roples of the Mets, remember him, where every time a ball's in the air, he's going to point to the skies if it's a routine pop-up, but yes, it was pretty much halfway up Broad Street going toward the art museum where the Rocky Steps were. And then, even with VR's home run in the ninth, too little, too late, the Mets lose 4-2. And then on Saturday, they were shut down completely to the point where they had to bring in this reliever that i never heard of, Mauricio Lovera, and he promptly gave up back-to-back-to-back home runs in the ninth inning. But mind you, up until that point, through the first eight innings, the Mets only had two hits. So now, the Mets are putting together this rally, and I didn't get crazy with the home runs. All right, they... Made it close there, and then with the base hit, right afterwards, they got four straight hits, and then you thought to yourself, wait a second, the Mets could actually tie this game. Because now they have the tying run coming to the plate, and a one, Jeff McNeil, who hasn't really been hitting that well, Pete Alonzo, J.D. Davis. And of course, in typical Mets fashion, they give you the biggest tease of all, Not only getting those three runs to make it 5-3, they get the tying run coming to the plate after a base hit, and then, with Ian Kennedy, who just became a part of the Phillies team at the deadline to be a closer, and he closed the night before in the 4-2 game, so here it is, they have Ian Kennedy on the ropes, the Mets could have this miraculous comeback to maybe, just maybe, turn their season around, and what happens? McNeil pops up to the third baseman in foul territory. Pete Alonso, who is now 0 for his last 21, strikes out. JD Davis does the same. And of course, you go crying into the night, wondering what could have been. And then you only hope that with Taiwan Walker pitching in yesterday's finale to avoid the sweep, and it wasn't all on him. I get it, he gave up the back to back, or it wasn't back to back, but he gave the two home runs in the first inning to Gene Segura and J.T. Realmuto. And then in his final inning in the sixth, he gave up a home run to Bryce Harper but he only gave up four hits in the three runs and granted they're all solo shots, but can the Mets get a base hit? Can they get a base runner? They couldn't even do that. And then they lose Javi Baez halfway through the game because of a hip that threw a follow-through on a swing. He wasn't even able to get out of the batter's box to go down the first base where even Segura was wondering, was it the foul ball that it hit off his foot? What went on? But obviously that wasn't the case. It was more of a defensive swing To where Baez must have pulled something in his hip or his side. And he couldn't even take a step towards first base. So then now with Zach Wheeler just mowing the Mets down. And again, we could look back Brody Van Wagenen and his sorry and unforgettable tenure. And I hate to say it that way, but it's the truth. Him not re-signing Zach Wheeler. And how great would he look in the rotation right about now? Considering this rotation is tattered and torn. So with Wheeler just mowing the Mets down, complete game shutout, and Pete Alonso striking out to end the game yesterday, if you take away the ninth inning, and I understand you can't, fine, but let's just take away that ninth inning on Saturday, the Mets were only able to muster up four hits in 17 innings. And over the weekend, again you can't take those three runs out, but they scored two runs over the weekend because of what happened Friday night and I understand people are going to look at me or look at the Mets fan and say you still have 54 games left to go whatever it is I think 52 now because they've played 110 they're 56 and 54 but this team went from being a half game up on Friday night to when you wake up this morning they're two and a half back and not only they're two and a half back in first place there's also a team ahead of them right now in the Braves that's a half game up On the Mets. And they lost their best player about a month ago in Ronald Acuna Jr. So, I don't want to hear from anybody that's not a Mets fan to say, you still have time, don't worry, come on, the Phillies could fall apart. You know they're going to get cold. The Dodgers are coming into the, I was going to say the veteran stadium. They're coming into Citizens Bank to play three games starting tomorrow. Oh yeah, that sounds all well and good and the Mets are playing the Nationals who... Can't beat anybody in this day and age. And thankfully they won on Saturday night because the Braves would actually be a game and a half ahead of the Mets if it wasn't for that. They're coming from behind win on Saturday. But then the Mets have to play the Dodgers this coming weekend. All right, it's at City Field and the Mets play much better home than on the road, but how do I know that this Mets team isn't going to be able to swing their way out of wet paper bags? This team is putrid on offense right about now. And the crazy thing is, is that I saw a stat that Anthony DeComo who writes for MLB.com, who covers the Mets, that Mets have actually scored more runs per game over the course of the second half of the season than they had in the first half of the season, which I get is a small sample size, the second half to the first. But they've averaged, I think, 3.72 runs in the first half and 3.74. Wow, big whoop. But remember, the Mets were getting the pitching in the first half. You had Jacob DeGrom, although in and out, but he pretty much pitched the first two months of the year. And Tywan Walker was an All Star form. Walker Strowman was also pitching to a mid two ERA. The bullpen was surprisingly lights out. Now it's a whole different ballgame. The pitching actually hasn't been that bad, but they can't score any runs. And now with Baez out of the lineup, and right now he's listed as day to day. And I said this before the deadline, or pretty much right after, where Baez, I liked the trade. It was a good addition. But we all know he's a free swinger, he's going to hack at everything, and pretty much what you've seen here in the first week and a half as him being a Met has been feast or famine. Yes, you saw what he did on the base pass there on Wednesday night against the Marlins, that slide into home plate. We know about his glove, and we know that he has a good enough bat that could provide some offense when needed. But the thing is, you're going to see more strikeouts and more bat at bats from Baez than you're going to see clutch or him to deliver in a big spot and we know Lindor is going to walk through those doors anytime soon JD Davis is a mess right now Michael Conforto where have you been here's a guy that's going into a walk year that was projected to probably get in upwards of 180 to 200 million dollars how many years who knows we know his agent is Scott Boris and he has done absolutely zero He's come into this weekend against the Phillies. He was batting 199. And he's striking out left and right. He hasn't been able to come up with a big hit. I understood he hit a home run there on Saturday to start off that back-to-back-to-back. But so what? The game was 5-0 at the time. And then let's get to Pete Alonso Because Alonzo was the one guy who actually has been very good this year. The 24 home runs. Actually started off the second half after winning another home run derby. As torrid as can be. And now he is ice cold. He has not been able to get a big hit, let alone to even put the ball in play. Because he's been feast or famine here over the last four or five days. But it's the press conference yesterday that I didn't quite understand. And I get he's not going to pound his players. I get that he's not going to be down in the dumps or come across as negative or be that guy that's saying, yeah, we're all scuffling right now. Uh, I don't have any answers, blah, blah, blah. Where you could look at him and say, Well, Pete, come on. You could give me a better press conference than that. But he's looking at it through too many blue and orange colored glasses here because for him to say that we're in a really good spot, we've been hitting balls hard, they just haven't been falling right now. Met fans believe in us, don't just believe, no. What we've seen over the last week and where you were in first place for 90 days in a division that, okay, you figured at some point, the Phillies and the Braves were going to wake up from their season-long slumber. And I'm not saying that the Mets should have been 15 games ahead in the standings. But at the same time, whatever small lead and margin that they had, and granted that the Mets had to make up a lot of games with the rainouts and postponements from earlier this year to where they were seven in the loss, six in the loss, but still had to make up these games. And even though you looked at that and were a little bit comfortable, but knowing that they weren't able to separate, they weren't able to pull away, they weren't able to put a six, seven, eight, nine game lead in the division to where right now you could say, all right, well, even if they threw half of that back, they would be four or five games in front. They didn't even do that. So now we sit here two and a half games back, and yes, maybe they can make up some ground here between now and Friday with the Nationals coming in. And here's the sad part. You would think that the Mets should be able to sweep the Nats. They're not going to face Patrick Corbin. We know is on the IL for the rest of the year. Max Scherzer's in Hollywood. And I think we're going to see him on Sunday because I believe he pitches Tuesday, tomorrow against the Phillies. To get two out of three right now, you would almost have to beg and plead. But really, they should sweep this team. And you know the Nationals are coming in wounded, losing 6 of 7 to the Phillies and to the Braves, and watch them come to City Field and win 2 out of 3. Would that be out of the realm of possibility? I don't think so. But to look at a 2 out of 3, in which you can say, alright, maybe the Dodgers can win 2 out of 3, maybe even sweep, so if the Mets win 2 out of 3, they could gain 2 games in the standings. But you can't even look at that right now, because the Mets' offense has not even gone to sleep they're the walking dead nobody's hitting in this lineup and like I said with Baez out J.D. Davis I don't know if his he's been hurting who knows you can't expect the Jonathan VRs to continue to produce and remember he's batting 235 so you're not expecting and looking to him to carry this team or to put this team on his back it's the McNeils the Confortos Alonzo's, to a certain extent, J.D. Davis, those are the guys. And what have they done? Nothing, especially over the course of this past week. So now, what do you have left? You have a season that pretty much is going to hang in the balance here over the next two weeks because I don't want to hear that you have a million games against the Nationals and you have the Marlins. Look what the Marlins have done. Marlins just beat us three out of four. And I believe right now the season series, the Marlins... Have a 6-3 lead against us. And people don't look at season series like that. I understand. Get it. But. You can look at the Marlins right now and say. We could barely beat them one game. Let alone a series. So why would I be confident to think that whenever we play the Marlins. That it's going to be an automatic W. It's not. So with the. Nats out of the way. Hopefully. The Mets could win at least two games. I mean geez. Is, is that really asking too much? But you have the Dodgers and they did not do the Mets any favors because the Mets are playing the Dodgers Sunday night ESPN. And then they got to fly to San Francisco in the middle of the night to start off that road trip which is three in San Francisco four against LA before flying back east day off and then they have the Giants for three. So if you're a Mets fan right now this season is shipwrecked. And you're looking for a life preserver. Because I could see if it was a thing where the Metro scoring runs and they were losing tough games, they were losing 6 5, 7 6, 5 4. This team can't even get a base hit. Now, maybe a day off today to kind of get away from baseball, don't even get in the cage, work out, whatever, just decompress. You had a one in six road trip. Let's regroup tomorrow and hopefully get back on the beam. But can you count on that? Can you maybe take that day off to say, all right, maybe this is what they need. This could jumpstart, hopefully a nice little run here. At this stage, forget about the Nats right now. That Dodger giant gauntlet, if the Mets get five, if they go five and eight during that stretch, you'd have to jump up and down. And that's terrible. You pray for at least seven and six, but huh. That's not gonna happen. I'm gonna close this rant with this. I think this season is done. And not even just with the offense, because you can see watch the offense start picking it up, and then the bullpen's gonna implode. It's just typical Mets. If it wasn't for these 13 games, yes, I could try to pull myself off the ledge to say, we're two games back in the loss, two and a half behind the Phillies. The Phillies are due to lose. They haven't lost in August just yet. What are they now? 8-0? And now with the Dodgers coming in, and as I said before, maybe the Mets can win two games, hopefully three. <laughs> to me, that's like climbing Mount Everest right about now. But let's say if they do win three and the Dodgers take two out of three. Now you're a half game back. But then you have the Dodgers coming in. Then go to San Francisco, L.A. How does this bode well for the Mets right now when they can't scratch out a hit or even get a walk, for that matter? And who knows the status of Javi Baez? Who knows if Conforto, Alonzo, Davis, these guys are going to turn their seasons around? As a fan, you always have hope and you hold out hope. But when you see this dumpster fire that has taken place and not even just this past week it's been going on pretty much for the last six weeks because of what I mentioned not being able to get that separation not being able to be consistent last week I came on here I believe that they were a game under 500 and they still had a two to three game lead in the division and now they've torpedoed that I don't think they're coming back and you forget about the wild card in the National League because there's no such thing I think they're six and a half back right now. and Forget it. It's not happening. It's going to be LA or San Diego. Those two teams are going to represent in the wildcard round. So it's not looking good. And I don't expect them to come out of this. So let's see where we go, people. I know you're probably sick. All right. Thank you, J Reels. We heard about the Mets. Enough of them. Let's move on, etc. You got it. As we go through baseball, before I even get to the, the divisions... I know the Yankees, here we go with the COVID, they've been hit hard, Garrett Cole, who was tested positive last week, you not only had Gary Sanchez test positive, and he's on the shelf, but also Anthony Rizzo, who just got there, what the heck's going on with the Yankees right now, with all their players that they've had to pretty much put on the health and safety protocols, and... Who knows? This has been pretty much ongoing since the start of the All-Star break. Think about it. Aaron Judge, Gio Urshela, a couple of their relievers, and now you had their best pitcher, their their starting catcher, and now the import from Chicago now befelled with COVID. So, And the Yankees, it's weird with them because they have not been able to sweep these series They'll win the first two of a series, and then they lose the third one. I know with Tampa, that happened earlier this year at the stadium. It actually happened just about 10, 11 days ago, when they won the first two games down in Tampa, and then they lost 14-0 in the finale, which was Garrett Cole's last game. He pitched before he was put on the COVID list. And then here, Seattle, they come in here, the pretenders that they are, first three games, Yankees in all ways, shapes, and forms, beating the Mariners, and then Trying to put the hammer down in a four-game sweep, couldn't do it. And in the process, they lose ground to Tampa, and I'll get to them in a minute. But the Yankees, let's see what's going to happen here with COVID, and with the team, you think they're going to be fine. They've righted the ship with this season, and playing Kansas City, although they have four games against the White Sox this coming weekend, including that Field of Dreams game on Thursday, and I know the White Sox are going to want a little bit of revenge, because when they came to the stadium in May, they got swept So that should be an interesting series and maybe even a prelude to a potential playoff matchup. So that's one to look out for toward the end of the week. But you also had Earldis Chapman who's on the aisle with elbow inflammation and he seemed to turn his season around after that great start where he didn't give up a run and then from late May till about right up until the 4th of July was just awful. But then he bounced back with seven straight saves and ERA just a smidge over one. But now he's on the aisle with elbow inflammation. You got to wonder long term what does that mean? For the Yankee closer. Also J.D. Martinez has come down with COVID. For the Red Sox. And they've been struggling of late. They have not been playing well. Losing to the Blue Jays over the weekend. And now they have the Rays. Coming into Fenway. For three games. Starting I believe tomorrow. So that is an enormous series. Because right now. The Rays are five games. Ahead in the loss column. Four in the standings to the Red Sox. So they could do some serious damage. To the. AL East title hopes of the Red Sox I remember the Red Sox were pretty much in first place maybe from if not Memorial Day maybe soon after that till about two weeks ago and remember Tampa beat them down three games in the trop a couple of weekends ago and now they could really put the hammer down on the Sox division title hopes so we'll certainly keep an eye on that series and the Rays what could you say man That team could trade off players. Yeah, they could bring in an import like Nelson Cruz, but the beat goes on. How do they do it? It's amazing with as little as that team has between payroll and even from a talent standpoint, but man, do they get the most out of their resources. What are they? 68 and 44 right now. And they could do some serious harm to the Red Sox here, as we know. Now, granted, they'll be in the mix for the wild card but you want to win that division you don't want to, to roll the dice in a one game playoff and you got to wonder if there are some leaks that are being sprung there in Boston and even though Chris Sale is on the mend and maybe starting as early as this weekend so that's something to keep an eye out because that will be a big sigh of relief for a Red Sox staff that's kind of been going through it here over the last couple of weeks so we'll see what happens there now the health of Fernando Tatis Jr. is big as we talk about the NL West as I mentioned a minute ago those two teams Padres, Dodgers you'd think would be battling it out for a wild card one game playoff Tatis who's had this left shoulder that has been partially torn and although he's been rehabbing and has been shagging flies trying to keep it mobile but at the same time not do anything to make it worse it'll be interesting to see this is a big week to see whether or not he'll be back in the lineup so Padre fans are holding their bated breath to make sure that their superstar player comes back as close to 100% as possible because we all know he's not gonna be 100% I mean this is the third time he's gone through this this year a lot of people thought and even myself from based on some things that I heard that he could have required surgery going back to when he first heard it in the batter's box in April. So, although he's young and obviously in good health as far as keeping himself fit and whatever activity, rehab that has been taking place, a young body's going to respond a lot better than somebody in their 30s who's been through uh, a lot and obviously has a lot of tread on his tires, not necessarily Tatis. But you have to wonder whether or not he's going to be back in the lineup and be effective and be A-plus Tatis that we've seen pretty much Throughout the course of this year. So we'll certainly pay attention to that. Storyline. And it's funny. You know it just dawned on me right now. As far as the Mets. Real quick. I promise. This will be 30 seconds. Was it all Chili Davis's fault? After they fired him a month into the season. And they got a guy in Hugh Quarrelbaum. Whatever his name is. As the hitting coach. So Chili Davis. Who was the fall guy for the Met hitting woes. That started 11 and 12 to their season. And you know, he's laughing his ass off somewhere saying, uh-huh, just when you want to blame it on me, maybe uh, look in the mirror and find out that it wasn't just about me. So, all right, I digress. Back to the MLB landscape. You had a big suspension there for an Oakland Ace player and Ramon Laureano 80 games as he violated the league substance abuse policy. Now, we know you're not going to see him for the rest of this year. And it's a regular season penalty. He's not going to play in the postseason, as we know. I don't think even if the A's do make it to October, whatever games are played there, I don't think it goes towards his suspension. It's a regular season deal. So, Laureano, it will bleed over into next year. And the final 50-some-odd games will be played out for his suspension this year, of course. And then uh, you had this incident in Colorado yesterday. Talk about disturbing. I know that the investigation is underway with the ballpark, with Major League Baseball, with the fan shouting towards Lewis Brinson, where a microphone picked up this fan yelling the N-word more than once, and just, come on, people, what is happening here? Just terrible, awful, and even the Marlins players, they even said they didn't hear it, even the Rockies players, they didn't even hear it, maybe they're not paying attention and again it was picked up on a mic so who knows if the guy was underneath the TV or radio broadcast booth not necessarily coming from their mics but there may be an extended mic or a mic that's placed not too far from there where the fan could have been 40 rows up but for whatever the reason he thought he had a right to scream out the N-word towards Lewis Brinson who is an African American player on the Miami Marlins Well, hopefully, whatever they do to that guy, it's not even just ban him from stadiums. Hopefully, they could do something to press some charges because that is just a disgrace. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. So, we'll see what happens there. But baseball on a whole, and I know that this has been the theme here over the course of the last, really, six weeks. Other than what has happened in the National League East, and of course, I don't have to detail that again. But even with the Reds, Winning five in a row, playing well, and the Brewers stubbing their toe over the weekend, losing to the Giants in the back two of their series, and them being five back, but there really isn't anything to look at here. Houston, that lead has shrunk a little bit with Oakland, so if you want to bear watch to that race in the AL West, you can. Other than that, there isn't really anything to report, and the wild card is, it's the same in this regard. The National League you can forget about because until it gets to I'll say a game or within that even though the Reds are three and a half or excuse me two and a half back and two in the loss of the Padres I gotta wait until they're even a game or close how about being even in the standings before I could say wow look at the Reds because after that you have the Braves are six and a half I said the Mets were six and a half it's the Braves and the Mets are seven back so the NL wild card. I'm going to say right now, you can forget about, I got to see more from the Reds here in order for me to really be a believer. And then in the American League, the Red Sox have a two and a half game lead as the second wild card, but only one in the loss. So that's something you have to keep in mind. And remember, the Yankee fans are going to root hard big time for Tampa of all teams. As I mentioned, those two teams will play up in Fenway. Yankees two and a half back. Followed by Toronto three. Then Seattle five and a half. And that's it. I'm not going to even throw in the Angels at eight back. So yes, there has been some movement. Yes, there has been some closing of the gaps in regards to some of these races. The wild cards in both AL and NL. I know I got to throw in the Reds. All right, I'll give them credit. Two and a half. But am I a believer? I can't say right now I am. But Regardless, all that is pretty much status quo when we've talked about how the NL West is shaping up with that wild card. San Francisco is still in first place. The White Sox are running away with the Central. No shock there. I get it. The A's have drawn a little bit closer, but the Astros, you would think they're going to be in good command. And I'll look to see how many times the A's and Astros will play down the stretch to see if they're going to have any meaningful games to play against one another as we get deeper into this pennant race. And then, obviously, the National League East Bears watching. But, uh, yes, as me being the Met fan, I am not optimistic. And one last thing, the 2022 baseball season, if it does start, falls on March 31st. So, I just put that out there. I know it's going to be a long offseason with the CBA, the new one that's going to have to be collectively bargained between the players and owners. But uh, for those who are just wondering and curious, and it happens to fall on my 53rd birthday, The 2022 season begins on the final day of March of next year. So just keep that in mind for those who are hoping and praying and fingers crossed for a baseball season to start then. But obviously a lot of baseball will be played from here on out. All right, I'm going to turn my attention to the association, talk a little basketball. I know NFL, everybody wants to talk about the Hall of Fame game. I actually watched a couple of drives, believe it or not. And you know me, I do not watch NFL preseason football And even though it was the Steelers, I happened to turn it on. I said, what the hell? And I watched a couple of drives, and then I couldn't watch anymore. I just couldn't. And that was in the first quarter, because you know I'm not watching second, third, or fourth quarter. So I'll get to that. I'll also get into the big signing there, Josh Allen, even Darius Leonard from the Colts, and how Josh Allen could affect the future paydays of a one, Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield. But the wheeling and dealing that's going on in the NBA over the past week, was a lot, and there actually is some controversy right now where the powers that be are looking into some tampering violations between, more in particular with the Heat, with Kyle Lowry, but also with Lonzo Ball. As you've seen here in years past, especially a couple years ago, that was the Kyrie, KD, Kawhi Leonard, where everybody had seen before the 6pm deadline on July 1st, two years ago, where these guys were already had contracts signed before the period was commenced. And now the NBA is trying to curtail that a little bit to where there may be some tampering between these clubs signing and trading these players prior to the start of the deadline. And that's what we're going to look at here, where draft picks, obviously heavy fines, and a bunch of other things that could take place if these teams are guilty. And Miami, of course, comes to play here because we know Pat Riley, he always has his sleeves rolled up at this time, trying to improve his team. And we have seen here what he's done. Not only did he bring in Kyle Lowry, they also re-signed Jimmy Butler to a four-year $184 million deal. So he gets that max deal, which he got, remember, a couple of years ago, I think it was four for 140 Well, he re-upped for big-time money there. For the Miami Heat They also bring in PJ Tucker Who just came off of a championship With the Bucks Markeith Morris A guy who could bring off the bench For the Heat Duncan Robinson got five years $90 million So the Heat certainly Trying to get their hat in the ring To be competitive To bring them back to An NBA championship At least playing in an NBA final As they did two years ago In the bubble Or really last year Not even a full year has gone by When you think about it But it's technically two years Or two NBA seasons ago but the Bulls also have to deal with that with Lonzo Ball, with that sign and trade deal, and the Bulls, give them credit, they're a team that, sadly, if it wasn't for the Brooklyn Nets of the world, if it wasn't for the Philadelphia 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks, those three teams in particular, you could say that the Bulls could be a team that's on the come up in the Eastern Conference, because they bring in Lonzo Ball, and I get that he's, a guy that hasn't really stayed healthy in his career. And although he has improved his jump shot and his offensive game, we know he's a very good defensive player as well. But by bringing in Lonzo Ball and then also sign and trade for DeMar DeRozan, where DeRozan, I get in the last couple of years, especially since he left Toronto, has been under the radar, hasn't really been a player that's been watched or a player that has pretty much done what he did in his career at Toronto where he was an all-star player and maybe in his first year after that trade he probably did make the all-star team I don't know off the top of my head but we all know DeRozan is a good scorer and a guy that if he does have complimentary players can be effective on the team but by bringing him in Lonzo Ball to go with Zach Levine Nikola Vucevic which they got at the trade deadline last year and if you want to throw in just for some championship experience a guy like Alex Caruso The Bulls did very good here, and they're trying to do something there where going back to the early 20-teens, or really in the early part of the 2010s, where Derrick Rose was your league MVP at the tender age of 22, and remember how good that team was, and a lot of people thought that the Bulls were going to be a team to compete against the Heat in particular during that time, but after Rose suffered that knee injury, he was not the same player and Rose himself, he resigned with the Knicks, and I'll get to them in a minute, but give it up for the Bulls by trying to do something here, and make their team better, and they have made their team better, but with those aforementioned teams, the Nets, Sixers, and Bucks, are they going to even crack those three teams? As of right now, you can't say they are. Now, they may be somewhere in the middle, 4, 5, 6, probably 7 or 8, because you would think that the Celtics will be somewhere in the middle of that pack, obviously the Heat, the Hawks, there's your four, five, six right there. So they may be a seven or eight seed, unless they really get off to a great start and pretty much hang somewhere in the middle of the Eastern Conference race. But as far as championship aspirations, the Bulls, I don't think so. And speaking of the Hawks, they re up with Trey Young four years, two hundred seven million dollar extension, or five years, I should say, and also bringing back John Collins five for a buck twenty. And that's not a dollar twenty, of course, people. Now the Knicks, they tried to be, I'm not going to say thrifty. All right, they re-signed Derek Rose. They gave the extension to Julius Randle, which was, I guess, something that they had to do based on what he did last year. He was going into a team option, I believe, of 23 million this year. So instead of having him play that out and maybe get into his ear to say, hey, we want you to play this out. If you have another all-star, all NBA type year. We'll give you the big money after that. But I think the Knicks were smart in this regard. Because if Randall did have that type of monster regular season that he had this past year. And I'm sure whatever the kicker is. If he became an All NBA player. They would have to give him probably five years at over $200 million. So I think it was smart for them to give him the four for 117. They figured that yes they broke the bank. But at the same time they still had some flexibility to where they bring in Kemba Walker. And. After OKC buys him out of the last two years. And that's $70 million contract. So he becomes a Nick from the Bronx. Soundview Projects. I'm sure it's going to be good for him to be back in familiar surroundings. The one thing is though. What Kemba Walker are they going to get? Is he going to be 100% coming into the season? Where you're going to get a guy who could average upwards of 25, 26 points a game. Dish out 5 to 6 assists. He's not going to give you the defense. But not only that, is he going to be 100% healthy and guaranteed to play? He's not going to play all 82, but can he give you 72 games? And top-notch offensive performance. That remains to be seen. You also had Kawhi Leonard. He's going to stay put, you would think, although it's not official, despite the partial tear, the ACL that he suffered against the Jazz. I think it was a thing where... Kawhi probably could have got money elsewhere But he figured let me stay in LA Let's try to finish the job They did make it to a conference final finally And they also bring Reggie Jackson back Who knows if they're going to have enough to push them To not only back to a conference final But now over the next hurdle to an NBA final That certainly remains to be seen Other than that Pretty much they had some signings here and there I know the Nets they re-upped KD 4 for 198 million they bring in Patty Mills, I guess more to be insurance on D and also for three-point shooting. Patty Mills, that guy that's in the corner shooting threes. Remember Joe Harris had that awful playoff series against the Bucks. Maybe that's why they brought him in. And that's pretty much what you have with the big signings. I know you had some people, Steph Curry, five for, or four for 215, monster deal for him to stay in Golden State. Andre Drummond signs a one-year deal in Philly. Can you get crazy about that? Who knows? Uh, I, I can't say he, he's going to be pretty much a guy that's coming off the bench for Joel Embiid because you cannot clog the middle of the court to have both Drummond and Embiid and there. To me, maybe it was even insurance in case if Embiid does get hurt, as we seen last year. That's how I look at it, if you ask me. Chris Paul signs a four-year deal with Phoenix. So, Phoenix had to do that. You understand that they just couldn't let him go based on the year that he had and obviously making it all the way to an NBA final. And the one other news and notes, CJ McCollum speaking of CP3, he passes the baton to McCollum, the Portland Trailblazer guard, as the next NBA Players Association president. McCollum well-respected throughout the league. So he's the guy that now will be in charge of the players and the union as far as that goes. And then of course, how could I forget that the Lakers were in not only wheeling and dealing mode, man, you talk about a complete overhaul of this team. Now early on, they bring back Dwight Howard, also Trevor Ariza, who comes back to the Lakers in his second go around. And Howard, this is his third go around. And he actually, for him to call this squad underappreciated, who came out and said that? Which I found very surprising. They also bring in Ken Bazemore, a guy that could bring you a little defense. Wayne Ellington, a guy you could just bring off the bench. Kendrick Nunn, the former Miami Heat player. I mean, they went all out to do whatever it takes. We know about the Russell Westbrook trade. Obviously had that. And then Malik Monk, the former number one pick of the Charlotte Hornets. And last but not least, Carmelo Anthony, where you kind of thought that this was going to go in this direction, but now this team is so loaded and so stocked just for this one year, I might add, because even though LeBron re-upped, I believe, what, two for 85 million and he's actually going into this final, this would have been his final year, but he has two more years tacked on to this year. And as long as LeBron is there and Anthony Davis is going to be there, of course, for three more years, this is just going to be past work with one-year deals as you saw over the last week and Melo, you know he's going to come off the bench and light up the scoreboard with whatever he can do even at the age of 37 you have the young players there with Malik Monk a guy who could certainly learn and grow to be around this championship veteran laden team Westbrook we all know he's just looking to get that brass ring so the Lakers and a lot of people thought All right, Caruso was gone. That's not really a big loss. And when you look at what happened leaving out of the first round this past year, you knew they were going to retool and reload. And that's exactly what they did here. Now, am I going to crown them NBA champs as of right now? No. But I would think them, even the Bulls, big time winners here. Now, again, the Bulls aren't going to go anywhere as far as deep into a postseason. But at least there's some hope In the Windy City when you look at the roster and say, hey, you know, this is a halfway decent squad. But they're more of a regular season team than a postseason team. And granted, we haven't seen this team gel and play. I get it. But as I said before, I don't see them being a representative of an Eastern Conference Final or an NBA Final team in the East. That's for sure. And one last thing, now that I think about it, when I looked at these transactions, I know that the Knicks also signed Evan Fournier. Former Celtic that they got the deadline and add a little bit more offense to that team. It's interesting because even though they bring back Kemba and Kemba's, we all know the local guy and Fournier. I guess he probably wanted to be a part of this team, knowing that you have Randall and you have RJ Barrett and you hope to get a healthy once he's back in the mix, especially when it comes to rebounding and defense in a one Mitchell Robinson. I'm sure that Leon Rose World Wide West Scott Perry and company I bet you they didn't imagine Luckily that Kemba probably fell in their lap in that regard But I'm sure they were trying to lure The other free agents Maybe a Chris Paul Maybe they did dabble with Kawhi Leonard Not that we would know Or if it will ever come out Maybe it will We'll see But I'm sure when they looked at the NBA free agent landscape That Evan Fournier was not on their radar or even to bring back Derrick Rose for that matter because even though this is a Knicks, it's Broadway, Madison Square Garden, but we all know that the heyday of the Knicks, which was 25 years ago, and despite it being the bright lights in New York City and the Mecca of basketball, it has not attracted the top free agent here in the last decade plus. All right, you want to say Amari Stoudemire? Eh. And Carmelo wanted to come here. So you can't even say that. But for the guy who is maybe looking to make a name in the league. Or maybe put his team over the top. Or to the next level. To say yeah I want to be a part of this Nick team. And be a part of the Garden et cetera, The crowd. You haven't had that. And I'm sure there's a little bit of disappointment there in the Garden offices. They'll never admit that. But knowing that a lot of these other teams signing trades. And being able to pull off some of these deals. That the Knicks on the outside looking in or maybe they were right at the door but these players decided to go elsewhere I'm sure it bodes well maybe it's on the owner we know about James Dolan and his reputation as you've seen in the past Charles Oakley and how he's handled some of these fans over the years so but anyway I just wanted to throw that in there that and no knock on Fournier I'm not trying to knock him as a player by any stretch but again I'm sure when the Knicks started this whole process Fournier was not at the top of their wish list when it comes to not only improving the team, but also playing at the Garden, being box office, etc. So, all right, let me get to the NFL here with these two big signings, the Colts, Darius Leonard, the highest paid inside linebacker, which now overshadows Fred Warner's contract, or Fred Warner, excuse me, his contract in San Francisco, five years, 98 million. I forgot what he got guaranteed, but Leonard, a guy who is the anchor of that defense, and a very good defense at that, but you got to wonder with the quarterback situation, Carson Wentz out, and now even Quentin Nelson, the all-pro guard, who suffered the same injury as Carson Wentz with that foot injury, out 5-12 to weeks with the surgery, so although the Colt defense should be formidable, and may be ranked among the tops of the sport, but now you got to wonder about their offense right now without a quarterback, and who knows how long that may be. They may be able to get Carson Wentz by week one, week two, or really i say by week two, week three, excuse me, or it could be up to about week seven. So let's see where that takes us as we get closer to the season. But the bigger signing was Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bill quarterback, signing a six-year $258 million extension where $150 million is guaranteed. So he got more guaranteed money than Patrick Mahomes. And as we all know, Mahomes signed that 10-year, $500 million contract and where he got $141 million guaranteed. So now it begs the question, and I get it. You could talk about the money all you want. You could say he's not worth it. He's still a young player. Yeah, he's on the come up, but still, what has he done? At least Mahomes has won a Super Bowl and won an MVP and played in another Super Bowl. All that understood, but we all know the quarterback position is the most important in football and obviously you're not going to flirt with the idea of trying to sign him last minute because... You don't want the quarterback or even more so the representatives of that quarterback to get in the client's head to say, wait a minute, they're waiting this long to sign you or you know you have 31 other teams that could go out and sign you with the big bucks? Come on. Let's take our footballs and go elsewhere. Obviously, that's not going to be the case in this league. You know they're going to lock down the quarterback as soon as they possibly can. And here's a scenario where now if you're Baker Mayfield and they interviewed him to say, what do you think about the deal? And he says, hey, I think that's great for all quarterbacks. And I'll give Baker credit in this regard. He downplayed his situation with his contract. He says, I'm here to win. I'm concentrating on winning week one and then going to week two and that's it. So I'm not a big Baker fan, as you know, but for him to have that attitude right now that it's all about winning, it's all about this season, forget about his contract. He says, as long as I play well, that'll play out. Good for him. I give him props for that. But it does make you beg the question on whether or not Baker Mayfield who was the number one pick in that same draft that Josh Allen came out of and then the last pick of the first round is one Lamar Jackson who by the way has already won an MVP makes you wonder how much money those guys are going to fetch in the market now quickly you know how I feel about Lamar Jackson he is a talent from another planet more so with his legs and his arm now we understand he does have a very good arm it's not accurate and he does have playmaking abilities and mind you he just came off of another bout of COVID to where he didn't practice for the first 10 days came in and supposedly practiced excellently so that's good for the Raven fan God bless them but with the situation with Jackson and what he'll be worth we know a lot of that's going to be the guaranteed money and I'm sure his agent is going to say well if Josh Allen got this much my client deserves more is he worth that kind of money? Now Jackson again. In a big game. And when you need his arm more than you need his legs. I, he's not worth that money. I mean. He's going to get it. Now. It's funny because when Deshaun Watson got his money. For for whatever it was. $145 million. He's thinking. Eh, that's going to be the going rate. And even Dak Prescott. What did Prescott get? I think he got four years. What he got. He 190 something million. I would think that the agents will probably look more towards either the Deshaun Watson on a low ball perspective and then the high range would be the contract that Dak Prescott got because the Patrick Mahomes and not even Josh Allen, I don't think Baker or Lamar Jackson would be anywhere near that stratosphere. And Baker, hey, he won a playoff game and the game against Kansas City was close. They lost. But Baker Mayfield in regular season has not been spectacular. And sadly, when you make that type of money, it's for what you do in a regular season. Now, of course, whatever you do in a postseason in Super Bowls, obviously, Joe Flacco, i.e., he's the best example of that. But if they're going to have, let's say, good seasons, and to make that type of money, that's where it's going to be absurd. And they're going to get big money at the end of the day. There's no if, ands, what's about it. But you also have to wonder if you're a team like Cleveland that has a bunch of stars on that team that's making a ton of money. And we know who those guys are. The Miles Garrett's of the world. The Odell Beckham Juniors of the world. You know Denzel Ward's going to be up for a big contract, the corner. And a lot of these players that they've signed. Austin Hooper, the tight end, who signed his big contract last year. I know he's a tight end. He's not making a ton of money. But he goes against the cap. So... And in Baltimore, same deal. The Ronnie Stanleys of the world. They're going to have to give big money to some defensive players down the road, whether your name is Patrick Queen, their first round pick of a year ago. And I'm not really in NFL mode right now to really do a deep dive on these contracts. But yeah, to give a lot of money to the quarterback to put 30 to 35% of your cap towards that guy is going to be tough. I understand it has to be done, but are Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson worth anything close to what Josh Allen is making? I'd have to say no. To me, that's a rung below somewhere in the high hundred millions. 258 million? No. I was actually shocked he got that much to be honest with you. I thought it'd be more Dak Prescott than it would be closer to a Patrick Mahomes-like contract. And mind you, Patrick Mahomes got almost double than what Josh Allen got. But Understandably and deservedly so When you look at it from What he's done so far In his early part of his career And contracts are the theme here people Here in this Preseason When you look at TJ Watt Who hasn't practiced With the team Because he's looking to get a new contract And who knows He may be the next guy in line To get the big money And the Steelers had a nickel and dime Here this offseason Especially with Ben Roethlisberger Taking a pay cut And they had to let Bud Dupree go And We all know the Steelers aren't big in free agency as far as signing those big players and they cannot let this guy go. So he's going to get his money, but is it going to be a situation where it's more Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, or are they going to pony up some big time guaranteed money here? Because the Steelers cannot fool around with arguably their best defensive player. And I understand it can be a lot when you have Minka Fitzpatrick. And if you even want to say Cameron Hayward, Stephon Tuitt is in very underrated player but TJ Watt is right now he is your best defensive player on the team and the Steelers have to accommodate so you would think they're going to have a deal struck between now and then but uh, we will see what happens there and then you also had Xavier Howard remember a couple weeks ago I talked about that how he, he was disgruntled not being a top flight cornerback as far as being paid where he did get five for 75 a couple of seasons ago I think it was before last year But then, or two years ago, and then Byron Jones from Philadelphia to Miami got the five-year $82 million deal and he felt underappreciated and disrespected. And guess what? Although the terms weren't announced, but he was able to add more money and incentives to his contract. So he's staying put in Miami, which I believe is the first in NFL history that a guy got more money and incentives with four years still left on his deal. Think about that. Usually if you're down to your last year or two on your contract and you want that extension and we've seen that so many times over the years, but he had four years left on his deal and he still was able to rework it to get more money. Do you smell player empowerment in the NFL? Maybe just a little bit, just a little. And then uh, Justin Houston, interestingly enough, he was that close to signing with the Steelers and instead was offered a contract from the Ravens so he chose Baltimore over Pittsburgh and the Steelers were going to offer more money but he decided not he wanted to go to Baltimore oh good for him now Houston has fallen off here a little bit over the last couple of years with injuries but here we go the money that you offered or were going to offer to Justin Houston and granted he wasn't going to get a monster contract that TJ Watt's going to get but whatever you're going to put forth there just slide it right over to TJ Watt's routing account and his checking account and there you go It's that simple, right? And As far as the Hall of Fame stuff Over the weekend I didn't watch all of it I did watch A lot more yesterday than Saturday I did watch Troy Polamalu Who was I I was shocked Polamalu was charismatic He was very He just had a lot of Passion A lot of zeal On that podium the other night Not that I expected him To just say two words And walk off But Polamalu As we all know Very soft spoken A man of very few words And I understand, he was probably excited He was another guy that came down with COVID And was really right up amongst the 11th hour Before he was even going to be cleared To be part of the festivities there in Canton But I'm sure the excitement and everything took over For him to be out there and to share his story and his experience And to thank everybody, uh, it was fantastic The NFL, they could do no wrong That was an excellent weekend Peyton Manning, I was surprised he went in the middle. I thought he would be at the end. Charles Woodson was the one that capped off the night last night in a very emotional tribute to his mom as his mom was the one to induct him and introduce him to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Calvin Johnson, I thought, was very good. And I had to say this. Can I throw this in the mix? Calvin Johnson, what he's doing now as far as with mental health and not only that, but going through plant-based as far as therapy and recovery and things of that nature, I just laugh because the first thing I thought of was like, oh boy, if any of the big farmer people heard that, boy, they probably not only spit out their Pinot Grigio and choked on their kale salads, they probably gasped and gagged for about 20 minutes after hearing that. Because NFL, a Hall of Fame player on that platform, and a lot of people are watching, now I'm sure it went over 95% of the people's heads that were watching or in person viewing this but oh man I got a kick out of that one that was to me that was the highlight so I just had to throw that in there that's just me This more from a lifestyle health and wellness perspective so what could you say excellent job by the NFL pulling that off and cower Jimmy Johnson was great too uh, what could you say everybody was fantastic there on the podium and well represented for the league And moving forward there with the NFL Hall of Fame induction that was historic. Because remember, they didn't have it last year due to COVID. So you had both the 2020 representatives and the 2021 Saturday and Sunday. You couldn't ask for a better weekend if you were the NFL. And then a couple of quickies here. First off, Bobby Bowden. Passing away at the age of 91, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, or I think in the last podcast, where the family released a statement saying that these are going to be his final days, and we talked a little bit about his resume last week, I mean, what could you say? The impact that he's had on so many players, whether your name is Deion Sanders, whether your name is Charlie Ward, Uh, you go on down the list, all those great Florida State players and the impact, the fingerprints that he had on those championship teams, There in the 90s and of course in 2000. And Bowden was a mainstay there in Tallahassee as a Seminole. And he passed away at the age of 91 just yesterday morning, I believe. So condolences, thoughts, prayers go out to the Bowden family. As college football did lose a a pillar. A coach that was well revered in the sport. And in that conference, in that area, that region. So Bobby Bowden passing away at the age of 91. And one thing about college football that I didn't mention, and this is my bad. Now, this isn't for four years down the road, and that's maybe why I didn't bring it up and made a big stink about it. And it's not a stink, but for the SEC to now accept both Oklahoma and Texas is the end of the Big 12. Now, it's not going to take place until July 2025, but they figured they wanted to get out of that conference. They asked the SEC if they could be accepted, and why not? The SEC, where they're going to put them in remains to be seen. You'd think they're going to be in the SEC West, but there has to be some balance. Maybe Oklahoma will be in the East, because remember, the SEC are both separated by two conferences, so there's plenty of time to figure that all out, but you would think one's going to go one place and the other's going to go in the other, and I say conferences, division, excuse me, the East and the West division. I'd say maybe off the top of my head, probably Texas in the West and Because then they'll go with Texas Tech They'll have that rivalry there And then You also have Oklahoma will probably be In the Eastern Division But for the Big 12 You could pretty much Kiss it goodbye I know you're going to have Kansas there K-State Oklahoma State Uh, What are they going to do? And it's not even just football You know the basketball Is going to be affected as well Because Those teams Were mainstays in that conference For forever and we all know the power five, well now you're going to have a power four at some point here in the coming future because to lose both Oklahoma and Texas in that conference is ginormous. You know, what could you say? So again, that's what down the road, I know I didn't talk about that a couple weeks ago and even bring it up last week. So now with them going to transition in the course of four years, July 2025 will be official where both of those schools will be part of the SEC As I said, will pretty much put to rest The Big 12 in the years to come All right, I'm going to turn my attention to the Olympics Since it finally concluded yesterday And it pretty much went by in a flash When you think about it I mean, it was 17 days or 16 days But they say 17 Because you have to include the Opening nights, the ceremony The lighting of the torch, etc But this was an Olympics from a rating standpoint Which is one to forget When you look at The summer games of years past, whether it was in Athens in 04, whether it was in London in 2012, Beijing in 2008, how can I forget that? And then Rio in 2016. These ratings were literally sliced in half and even more than that, where I don't know if it was the pandemic, not enjoying watching some of these competitions, some of these events with fans, or obviously in this case, without fans the Simone Biles thing, maybe that hung over a lot of people and that turned people off where her mental health was involved and there's a certain faction that disagrees with her stepping down, considering that, oh, she's supposed to perform for us, that nonsense. It could have been a combination of things, but it did not hit, although this past week you did have a lot of interesting storylines that Allison Felix and what she did in track and field becoming the most decorated at that event Or some of the swimming that we talked about in the week prior with Katie Ledecky and also the other swimmer, uh, Caleb, I can't even think of his last name right now. That's how much of the Olympics I've gotten into if you've listened over the last couple of weeks. Although you had Simone Biles come back and participate in the beam and she did get bronze, but I don't know if that brought a lot of eyeballs to the sets. Maybe it was a little bit of too little too late when it comes to people wanting to be galvanized by Simone Biles. And everything that she brings. Now the US did edge China. As far as gold medals are concerned. That was the big story over the last week. Because although the US led in medals. But they were I believe at the time. Midweek third in golds. Well they got that for whatever it's worth. So I'm sure people are jumping up and down for that. And then the basketball team winning gold. No surprise there. They take some revenge from that early Lost to France. I believe that was their first game of the Olympic tournament where they did lose to France and then they bounced back to win the gold medal game 87 82. Uh, Am I surprised? I'm not. And I'm not one of those that went crazy when they won late Friday night, which was Saturday night in, or Saturday morning, I should say, in Tokyo. But I just couldn't get into this, people. I couldn't get into any of the Olympic stuff. If you've listened over the last two weeks, And it's no knock to the athletes No knock to the Any of the participants None of that I just can't get into it Because As you could tell I couldn't even give you The other swimmer's name Who won a bunch of medals But Ask me next week Or forget about that Ask me on Wednesday About the Olympics And I'll be like Oh there was a Summer Olympics Which now You gotta Think about this In less than six months You're going to have A Winter Olympics in Beijing The aforementioned City and now you have to do this all over again but from a winter perspective and NBC has to be wondering whether or not people are going to be glued to watch any of these events and not only that but who's going to be the big star in some of these events and we all know when it comes to the Winter Olympics it's all about the figure skating the skiing and the hockey to some degree because the bobsled the luge Maybe snowboarding to the younger audience. Nobody gets wrapped up in curling or some of these other sports. Uh, let's face it. So unless you're going to have a big figure skater out there. Or a big time skier. Especially here in the States that somebody's going to rally around. Who knows what these ratings are going to be like. But it'll be interesting because who knows where we're going to be at in the world when it comes to COVID. Now with the Delta variant wreaking havoc throughout the United States. And then you have this Lambda variant that's out there which is I guess a bigger and better version if you want to call it that and of course I'm kidding here but a more potent version of this virus where everybody's probably gonna have to be indoors nobody could leave wherever they're going to be holed up in and maybe the only thing you can watch after the Super Bowl is the Olympics because who's going to be into the NBA or hockey at that time and remember there's not going to be any NHL because they're all going to be participating in the Olympic Games So, something to keep in mind, something just to keep on your radar. I understand that's less than six months away, but before you know it, it'll be here, and then people are going to say, wait, Olympics again? So, there you go with that. And speaking of hockey, I get that other than Buffalo and the diehard hockey fan, nobody really cares about the story, but I find this fascinating in this regard because we've seen this happen in other sports. With other players And big time players too Especially when it comes to injury And the first person I think about Is Scotty Pippen You also saw it a little bit here With Michael Thomas Of the Saints The wide receiver Where he Performed surgery Doctors performed surgery On his ankle In June And the coach Sean Payton said Well why couldn't he get this earlier Where he could have been ready in time For training camp But the player Thomas says Hey it's my body My schedule Whenever I feel like I need to get the surgery I'm going to get it So if that means I'm going to miss the first week Or a couple weeks of the season So be it And remember Scottie Pippen that 98 season did the same thing where I believe it was a knee, but I believe it was a knee on top of, uh, off the top of my head. But for him to wait to get the surgery and not get it up until about training camp or I believe it was the start of the season. And remember, he missed quite a few games at the start. This is when they were going for the third part of their second peep. And granted, this is on a much, much, much lesser scale. So it's not as if This is anything that's going to be earth-shattering in the sports news. But it's fascinating from this regard. You have Sabre forward Jack Eichel. Who is the number two pick overall in the 2015 NHL draft. And a guy who's coming in with a lot of promise. A lot of hope. We know the Sabres have been pretty much Hockey Siberia. I mean, let's face it. They have not been a team that's been on anybody's radar. Unless you live in that part of the country. So for... Eichel, a guy who's had a good career to this point, 375 games, I think he has 355 points, maybe not the impact of the guy who was drafted ahead of him and a one Connor McDavid, which again, he's more of a transformational, generational type player than Eichel, but still, if you're number two, you're not going to be a guy that's thrown to the side or someone that cannot be impactful to your team and organization. But with what's taken place here over the last few months and then now into this offseason to where he only played 21 games out of the 56 where he suffered a neck injury. And the situation with the injury is that the agents have come out and said that he needs to have a very detailed and highly intensive surgery to be performed on his neck. Now we're talking about neck here. So if he takes a bad hit, if he, and of course hockey is a contact sport, if he happens to go down with an injury that is not repaired or has not fully healed, his client is not only going to lose out on the money that he's going to make, and he signed a long-term deal to where he has five more years and $50 million, but we're talking about the safety and health of this player, to where that he doesn't get this required surgery, that there may request a trade to go to an organization that not, will not only value him, but at the same time maybe get that surgery so he could get back on the ice and perform at close to if not back to the top level that he was in his first six years as a member of the Sabres but the Sabre organization is saying all the right things in regard of well he still has five more years he has 50 million dollars coming to him if he happens to show up and we expect him to show up come training camp we'll be ready to welcome him with open arms we look forward to having him back on the team so which one is it? I understand as an organization, you're not going to denigrate your player or you're not going to say whether publicly or even privately for that matter that, hey, we want this guy out of here. He's caused nothing but trouble and it's a situation where we're going to have to unload this player. And I get that the agents are trying to pull a full court press or in this case, a power play to use some hockey jargon toward the Sabre front office to either get this surgery so he could get back on the ice ASAP or trade him to a team that will value him and hopefully get that surgery in order for him to prolong and also restart or revamp his career and when we're talking about a player that's a number two pick overall and understood he's not a guy that's going to move the needle because he's not that type of player where he's transcendent. He's not Connor McDavid. He's not even Nathan McKinnon. A guy who was a number one pick overall for Colorado years ago. And I'm not even going to go back to the Sidney Crosby's, Alexander Ovechkin types player. But you get my drift. Jack Eichel could walk down the street a thousand times over in a Sabre jersey with his name and number. And you'd probably be like, is that really Jack Eichel? You couldn't pick him out of a lineup. But I bring this up only because you have a guy who is pretty much the face of the organization. They're at an impasse here between the agents and the front brass, the front office brass, and for them to kind of go into the season with some skepticism and at the same time uncertainty as to if and when this player is going to report and if and when this player is going to get the surgery, who's going to be the first one to blink? And that's what I find fascinating because generally, as we've seen in the other sports, where a player's going to hold out or a player's going to try to get that contract extension, etc. They're going to do whatever it takes or go on their own timetable. Here is a guy that has his money. He's not looking to get his contract reworked. And he has this injury where, God forbid, if he goes back just based on rehab alone and gets hit and, God forbid, never plays again, you're going to have a major storyline here between the players the owners these organizations and it could reverberate I'm not saying it's going to but this is one to watch especially if you're a Sabre fan or even a diehard hockey fan because who knows how this is all going to shake down here when you have a top player of your team and it's a health issue like this it's a fine line because you have to go with your gut and that's your player, that's the person you're playing and yes, you want him to play but you do not want him to A, be injured or not be 100% and have him go out there on the ice and B, you also have to think about your organization and your team's future. So, if that means, hey, let's get the surgery so we can get him 100% so he can be a savior for the rest of his life or do you say, uh, let's just wait this out and see how this all un- unfolds or do you just say, the heck with it, let's see what we can get back And rebuild from there. And the Sabres. They can't screw that up. If they trade Eichel to another team. They got to get. A boatload of whether. Picks. Or even. Current roster talent. That's anything close to Eichel. Young talent at that. Then you have to do it. Because if they don't. They're going to look like a horse's ass here. And if I'm the Sabres. If. You're not looking to get this player. Back 100%. Because whatever the surgery is, if it's extensive, if it's expensive, who knows? I mean, it's they can afford it. It's an NHL team, even with everything that's happened over the past year and a half with the pandemic. If you know that this kid isn't going to be part of your future because of this, his health, then just trade him. What are you doing? Stop holding your cards close to the vest. I understand these privately. You're going to say what you're going to say, but publicly, if you said, "Hey, if he comes back into the fold," Come September 12th Or whenever the opening date is For training camp Great But at the same time Don't be foolish about it Or don't let your pride Your professional pride Get in the way from not Dealing off a player In order to get Some Draft capital Or even some big pieces On another team back And speaking of big pieces I know Adam Pellick The Islanders They signed him to an Eight year deal To stay with the Islanders Terms undisclosed, so it's good to get uh, one of their top defensemen back, him, of course, Ryan Pulak, their top duo there for the Islanders, and then also Edmonton extends Darnell Nurse, their young defenseman, eight years, $72 million, and Edmonton has made some moves there, we talked about Duncan Keith, the one-time Chicago Blackhawk, having that experienced championship medal to be... In that locker room With his presence Is going to be huge And I'm sure it's going to help out A guy like Darnell Nurse So that's it with the hockey And then two quickies Before I sign off One UFC related I know that there was a Heavyweight match For the interim Heavyweight spot Which I had to look A little bit deeper into And of course With my guy last month Who I hadn't had a chance To speak with And one Frank torrado MMA and NYC.org If you want to check him out Sets up these gatherings To watch these UFC events But you had Cyril Gaïn from, and I guess I just pronounce his name. He's from France. It's probably pronounced differently. So forgive me if I'm butchering it. Beating Derek Lewis by TKO in the third round. He dominated him to the point where it was almost as if it was straight out of a textbook. It seemed like Gaïn, or maybe it's Gagnev, who knows, considering he's French, was pretty much untouched based on what he said in the post-fight match or the post-fight interview. And for him to be untouched in a UFC bout, that went three rounds. I mean, that says a lot about him. And who knows if this guy's going to be on the come up. I believe he's 10-0. You would think that he's a guy that you're going to have to look out for here in the heavyweight division. And I believe that has to be unified with a couple of other belts there in the sport. So still getting my feet wet when it comes to this people. And I know UFC is a big thing. And as time goes on, I definitely do want to be able to educate myself and give you a full-blooded 100% analysis on this, but just based on what I see on the outside looking in, it looks like this guy, I don't know if he's more flash in the pan, or a guy that he could be here for the long run, but based on what I read, he looks like a guy to watch out for. And likely his next fight will be Francis don't know. I know the name, don't know much about him, and when that match will take place, but be Noted that I will be on top of that to See what he does in that next bout And how far I'll say Gagne maybe it is gain And how much he gains as far as popularity And momentum into that next bout And then lastly before everybody either Drives off the road Falls out of their chair Or maybe even bellows Oh my god I am going to talk about Lionel Messi for 90 seconds And the only reason why I'm doing that is because We all know Lionel Messi is one of the more popular athletes on the planet If I've watched five seconds of Lionel Messi perform In any of these Euro games or FIFA games or World Cups or anything like that It'll be the first time I've watched him But big news after he left Barcelona, very teary-eyed And again, I haven't watched the guy, I know who he is But sources say that he's going to sign with PSG I don't know what PSG is I don't even know if that's a league I don't know if that's a team uh, again that goes to show you how much I follow it but the reason why I bring it up is because I know he's a popular figure in the world of soccer obviously big time athlete throughout the world when I think of soccer players you're going to think of of course Lionel Messi you're going to think of Cristiano Ronaldo I believe Neymar is another guy hey look at Jay Reels out here rolling off a few soccer players names so those are guys that obviously are the pillars of the sport but for Messi to leave Barcelona and now to go on to PSG two year deal that includes an option for a third let's see what he does again if it's in my backyard I'm not going to watch and it's no offense to the sport to the players or anything like that I didn't grow up on soccer I said this weeks ago with the Euro Cup and how that ended and I get people could say Jay Reel's You don't know what you're talking about soccer. How could you have the game, the final championship game, not be decided by penalty kicks, which to me is a disaster. I I cannot stand that. How do you end a championship game like that is beyond me. And I could say that because I have watched other sports and NFL football in a playoff or Super Bowl doesn't end in extra points or extra inning baseball doesn't end in home run derby or NBA overtimes do not end in a three point shootout. So I don't want to hear it. But with that said Lionel Messi moves on Let's see how he performs On his next journey Of his soccer life And then now let me get to my hero In Zero of the Week My Hero of the Week Goes to a one James Rodney Richard Famously known as J.R. Richard The former Houston Astro Flamethrower of the 70s And early 80s Who suffered that stroke in 1980 If you remember in the Astrodome And that was just a very Tough sight to watch This is before the internet Before social media etc a guy who was well on his way to being a Hall of Fame pitcher. Earlier this week, he died at the age of 71, was a tall righty, threw 100 miles an hour. He was one of the first. He and Nolan Ryan, of course, his teammate in Houston. But back-to-back 300 strikeout seasons, was an imposing figure on the mound. I believe he was 6'7". And there was no such thing as tall pitchers during that stage or during that era of baseball. And he suffered that stroke in 1980, which he never pitched after that. And sadly, he dies at the age of 71. So, J.R. Richard, thoughts, prayers, condolences, go out to their family. You are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to former Vikings number one pick of last year, Jeff Gladney, cornerback, released from the Vikings after being indicted on felony domestic violence charges, which stemmed from an incident with his girlfriend as he reportedly hit, choked, and dragged her on the floor by her hair. Due to something that he discovered on her phone Do I need to say any more? You would think his career is going to be over A number one pick last year And then to have it all go up in flames You just hope that he gets himself right Gets himself mentally, spiritually, emotionally straight And has a productive life That's all I'm going to say there But for what transpired And for him to be out of the league right now After a year Jeff Gladney You are my zero of the week and that'll do it. Episode 208 in the books. I hope you enjoyed that, people. For those who have listened, whether it's your first time, 10th time, 20th, 50th, 100th, 200th, or even two hundred and eighth time, I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. And just like I mentioned at the very top, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Throw me a few stars. Throw me a nice review on wherever you get your podcasts. All that's going to do is increase the popularity of this podcast with all the others that are out there. If you could do that, please, I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it if you want to hit me up send me a question comment criticism praise even that I'm open to it send it to any of my social media accounts DM me at Instagram J Reels or the J Reels Podcast which is strictly sports Twitter J Reels one just a number Facebook the J Reels Podcast fan page or the old fashioned way by email the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com hit me up I'll be sure to follow up ASAP with you guys as I normally do and then lastly, to support this endeavor, please go to www.patreon.com slash Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to contribute to that, to the upkeep of the website, to the production of this podcast, the equipment, everything that goes on behind the scenes, whatever you want to put forth. Again, I thank you from the bottom of my heart, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. I've been following, watching sports pretty much since birth. I love to discuss anything and everything that goes on, the games, the players, trades, rumors, everything, to give you in-depth analysis, opinions, passion, all of that, with everything that happens on the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Rails Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South East, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.